It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's happening. We've entered the magical time of year called the holidays, when most people tend to lose their minds as they're blinded by Christmas lights, seek out eggnog-flavored everything, and reflect on a year that's been, while feeling intoxicated by the frenzy of gift-giving that builds up this time of year. But there's always one refuge from the chaos of the holidays, and that's holiday movies. I'm Hirag Vartanyan, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic, and this is the Art Movements podcast from Hyperallergic. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So why are holiday films, particularly the Christmas ones, so beloved? Why do we keep going back to them, even in an era of a million content options? Do we really have to see The Grinch Steal Christmas for the 30th time? Well, to get to the bottom of this and many other holiday movie questions, I've invited Hyperallergic's own film ninja, Dan Schindel, to help us figure this out. Hi, Dan. Hey. Okay, we're talking, we're getting in the holiday spirit. I was about to say Hollywood spirit. <laughs> Maybe that's connected. I don't know. Well, Hollywood controls our perception of the holidays, so that's right. If it wasn't, if it wasn't what Coca Cola developing our image of Santa Claus, then Entirely. it's Hollywood, you know, developing our idea of what the holiday spirit is. So let's talk about some of our favorite cult classics, you know, Hollywood films that will never go away. And I have a favorite too. I want to discuss. So why don't you start, Dan? Yeah. So I think that you could broadly divide holiday movies into two categories. There's the movies that are super popular and very beloved and get broken out every year for people to watch, often with families. And they're terrible. They're schmaltzy. They are also jokes equally to as many people as they are beloved. And they're the ones that are just sort of, you know, they're fine, I guess, but they're very cheesy or overly sincere or just false in their emotionality they're the, like very corporate ones like i think the arch typical one of those is love actually probably right and then there's the other one now keep in mind this isn't a divide based on method of creation like there are independent and blockbuster movies in both categories but the second category is the legit good holiday movies right. and there are just as many beloved ones or hated ones in this the difference here is that they base themselves on the inherent melancholy of the holidays. They are movies that, like, fundamentally are actually really depressing. And I think a good example of this, one which you might think is in the first category, but is actually in this one, is It's a Wonderful Life. Ooh. Which is a movie about a man contemplating suicide. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, right? Eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. So tell me about that film. So, like, why do you think that one resonates so much? So I think I can actually explain that with what Ray Bradbury said about A Christmas Carol, which I assume we're going to talk about later. It's good afternoon. Mr. Scrooge, it's Christmas! Christmas has even less to do with the dear son than your wife has or I have. You'd still owe me 20 pounds if you're not in the position to repay if it was the middle of a heat wave in August Bank Holiday. Good afternoon. Ray Bradbury said that the appeal of Christmas Carol was that fundamentally the message of that story is it's not too late. Right. And 
It's a Wonderful Life has a similar sentiment, but also goes even further and says, it's not too late. Also, what happened up till now was worth it, no matter what you feel right now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, just thinking about that film, you're right. It's like, even though the central focus is a suicide that sort of like starts it all off, it doesn't feel that way. It never kind of quite goes there. And I think maybe it's also because of the fairy tale like quality of that film, you know, because it doesn't really feel real. It does feel very much like a fairy tale, which I think a lot of Hollywood, uh, or again, here I am uh, confusing the two. A lot of holiday films are uh, really about. Well, you know, holiday. The original holidays, the actual events that we base this around, they have their roots, you know, going back thousands of years in the stories that our ancestors would tell each other when they had nothing else to do. Because, you know, that's why there are a lot of like holidays clustered around the winter months, because that's right. It's all about community and communalism. The the shortest daylight time, you know, people were stuck in their caves or huts or wherever they were telling each other stories by by candlelight or fire or something like that. So the one I wanted to bring up is A Christmas Story. Hey, kid. Just where do you think you're going? Going up to see Santa. The line ends here. It begins there. What do you want for Christmas, little boy? No, no, I want an official red undercarbonation. Do you want to get rid of my lead rifle? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Do you remember that classic? I yeah, I don't have much nostalgic attachment to that. I didn't see it until I was an older kid. Oh. That's a kind of yeah. I think that a lot of times with like the movies that people like individuals really love, it's whatever they watch when they're a kid and then becomes repeat viewing. So like it's a very funny, cute movie, but like it doesn't hold the specialness to me personally. But I can totally get how like anybody else would really, really love that. Well, I don't know if I love it. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's it. I think it was almost like on very high rotation for a very long time. It felt like, at, le- at least in my life, on television. Um, maybe it's also because I grew up in Canada because it was like partly Canadian. Mm. And so it was like, but I felt like it was always on friggin' television, particularly like city TV or one of these other channels at the time. And it just, it felt like it was going nowhere, but it also had kind of a bigger cultural impact, right? The famous scene of the, of the boys putting their tongue on the pole, <laughs> which I, I have to tell you, people in my school did, you know, as a result, I think that, and then of course the famous, uh, you know, the, uh, what is it? Red Rider 200 shot range model air rifle rifle BB gun. Okay, Black Bart, now you get yours. Oh my god, I shot my eye out. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, oh, oh. The infamous sort of, you know, you're going to shoot your eye out sort of scene. So I do think there was a little bit of that cultural, like pop culture that sort of, you know, seeped into it. And also it was kind of ridiculous. And I also want to mention that when it came out, it wasn't really critically acclaimed. People kind of poo-pooed it. I think the New York Times wrote a really negative review. And, you know, but then it became beloved. And now it's like on the top of people's like best of lists. Well, that actually holds for a lot of holiday movies. Like It's a Wonderful Life did not make a splash at the box office 
Elvis was ignored by critics when it originally came out. Frank Capra considered it a complete failure. It didn't become a holiday classic until decades later because it, thanks to a snafu with copyright, it became public domain. Oh, right. And so, yeah. And so then um, TV stations were able to show it for free. And so they did it a lot. And so thanks to that, people became more familiar with it and it was rediscovered that way. Wait, so is that why it was shown so much? Because yes. it was public domain? Yes. Wow, I had no idea about that little thing. I knew there was something, but I didn't realize it went fully public domain. Yeah, exactly. By the way, another reason that we need a more robust uh, public domain. <laughs> right, we exactly. We need serious <laughs> copyright reform. That's right, we do. Okay, that's that's the underlying message. Okay, let's talk about some of the other films you had lined up that you wanted to discuss. So let's see, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, and this is one where it's absolutely Okay, number one, for me personally, this is the movie that I grew up with watching every holiday. So that's why it's special to me. But even setting that aside, having watched it as an adult, it completely holds up. It is an utterly delightful movie. It is both a great Muppet movie and a terrific adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which is kind of fantastic. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. So can you give us a little summary? I don't remember it, so why don't you jog my memory? Who's who's uh, the Scrooge? So the Scrooge is not a Muppet. It's Michael Caine. Right. But he is surrounded by Muppets. So Kermit plays Bob Cratchit. Right. Gonzo plays Charles Dickens as the narrator. Miss Piggy is Emily Cratchit, Bob Cratchit's wife, of course. And um, my favorite, Statler and Waldorf play the Marleys. You know, there's Jacob Marley in the original book got turned into two characters so that they could play them in the movie. Right. And it's interesting thinking about it in context because that movie came out like right after Jim Henson died. It was the first piece of Muppet media, major Muppet media made after that. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like a real test case for like, can these characters survive without this creative force that was driving them for decades? And I think that the post Henson legacy of the Muppets is extremely mixed, but mm. that is one of the best shining examples of what they were able to do without him. Wow. Okay, so now you have another movie here. I don't know anything about the Richard Williams Christmas Carol. What is yes. that? This is the other Christmas Carol that I really love. And what I would think is the biggest c contender against Muppet Christmas Carol for the best adaptation of that story. The place, London. The time, 1843. The season, that of jollity, of festivity and charity. Holly and berries and goodwill to all men, with perhaps one exception. And it is with this exception that we are concerned in our story. The exception is Ebenezer Scrooge. So Richard Williams, he died this year, was one of the best animators in history. He made this adaptation of Christmas Carol for British television in 1970-something. Wow. 72, I think? Okay. In the 1970s. It showcases his signature style, which is just incredible. Like, Williams mastered this very three-dimensional method of traditional animation, hugely time-intensive, but it completely paid off. It's amazing to look at. You can look it up on YouTube now. I think that's actually the only legal way to... Well, not legal. I think that's the only viable way to view it <laughs> nowadays, um, along with a lot of the rest of his work. The sheer level of detail in the gestures is just incredible. And it also... And this is even better... 
It's drawn to resemble a contemporary newspaper cartoon of Dickens' time. So it's like one of his stories, the illustrations that would have been in those serialized stories brought to life. It's really marvelous just on a craft level. And, you know, as an adaptation as well, it perfectly conveys the story in, I think, only like half an hour, which is really remarkable. Wow. Okay. Now, the other three films are also films I'm not so familiar with. So let's go through them. Blast of Silence. Yeah. So that doesn't sound very holiday. Well, it's not It's not what you'd normally consider a holiday movie. It's a noir, but it takes place at Christmas time. However, I would argue like more of it as a Christmas movie just beyond that context because it's all about this hitman coming home to New York during the holidays. And against the backdrop of him setting up his hit, he is confronted with all his memories of growing up in New York, and most of which are bad memories because it's a noir. Right. And I think that that sense of... Being alone on the holidays, bringing back all these terrible, bittersweet memories is actually a really great encapsulation of a certain holiday experience. Right. No, I mean, I think you also touched on it a little earlier where, you know, it's part of this kind of like people are evaluating their life. It's near the end of the year, near New Year's. So you're everyone's looking back. They're anticipating what can be and what was, you know, I mean, in that category, I'd also put a little bit of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Absolutely. Which I think is a great film. And I think it's sort of, it brings a little bit of that energy into it, right? Into the holiday where you're sort of like, you know, let's appreciate this moment because this might not happen again. You know, this kind of really special holiday, you know, let's just forget all our troubles and be present with this type of thing. So did you like that film? What do you think of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? Now, we are talking about the original cartoon short, right? Yes. Okay, good. I am. (laughs) Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Yes, I do like that one. Um, <laughs> Not the remake, no. Well, which one? There's a live Oh, that's action, right. There have yeah. been a few. Yeah, the live action remake, which had, as you know, the horrifying Jim Carrey makeup job. And then like the, uh, the animated remake, which I guess was a year or two ago, made no splash as far as I can tell. At all. Yeah. Well, I mean, why, why mess with perfection? Right? Well, messing with perfection is Hollywood's MO nowadays. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the next one on your list is Peace on Earth. Yeah, Peace on Earth is a deeply disturbing 1930s MGM cartoon short. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic Christmas, which is being celebrated by cute little talking animals. My golly! It's a great old world! Merry Christmas, everybody! Peace on Earth, goodwill to men! And so these animals, some of them live in houses that are made out of helmets. And there seems to be an awful lot of wreckage strewn about. And gradually it is shown to you that this has happened in the aftermath of a worldwide war, which has killed off all of humanity. Um, (laughs) It's a very, and like apparently the animals like learned religion from leftover bibles and so that is why they are and they practicing. learned reading i guess yeah <laughs> why i mean not? give them enough time right exactly yeah. again this is before like the advent of nuclear weapons which is when and when you say religion you mean christianity christianity of course <laughs> <You're yes>. right <laughs> yeah 
This is before like the advent of nuclear weapons, which really cemented the idea of total annihilation of the human race through warfare in popular consciousness. So in a way, it's ahead of the time, especially since it was, I don't remember if it's like completely pre-World War II or really early in the stages of World War II that it came out, but very dismal outlook for humankind's prospects of survival. Well, you know, that's always been part of these Hollywood stories. You know, one that I always loved, I only saw the original Danish short, but I don't know. I, I think there have been remakes and it's The Little Match Girl. Mm. And, you know, that story for me always pulled in my arm. I mean, I, you're guaranteed that I'm going to cry if I see that because, you know, at the end she dies. You know, and I mean, talk about the darkest possible ending to a holiday holiday thing where she's trying to make money for her family and nobody gives her money and she dies burning like lighting the matches well that's like the (laughs) because she keeps seeing her grandmother in this image i mean it's dark i mean the context is grim because it's winter for most of humankind's history winter meant death Right. That's the background, which I think, I mean, when does the original story of Lil Mash Girl originate from? Like the 1800s, 1700s? Yeah, it's, I think it's 18. I think it's Hans Christian yeah. Andersen. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so that's what people would be seeing. Like, Windsor, I know, but I'm like, Windsor, I'm like, yeah. why would you want to read about a little match girl who dies in the cold trying to get money for her family? To give a lesson on charity, I suppose. Just thinking that that person could be a little match girl. Yeah. I mean, that was the impetus behind Christmas Carol. Like Charles right. Dickens is always writing about the play of the poor. And so what better way to do that than to give an object lesson from a miser who learns that the only way that he can redeem himself is to change his ways. Wow. It's, 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 it's a pretty dark holiday. So now then you also included Tokyo Godfathers. Yeah. So Tokyo Godfather is the one to include because it is a non-Western Christmas story in this in here. It's a Japanese film from 2001. It's an animated film. Um, it's from the late great animator Satoshi Kon. <laughs> And it's interesting because Satoshi Kon is known mainly for his mind-bending works. Like nearly all of his movies and his one TV show have a lot of like trippy imagery and questionable reality. But this one's relatively straightforward. It's just another adaptation of the book Three Godfathers from 1913. I think it was also a basis for a movie in the 40s. But it follows these three homeless people who discover a abandoned child on Christmas Eve and then follows them through their attempts to protect the kid through all these wacky shenanigans. Uh, it's really beautifully done, um, mm. stunningly animated for one thing. A really, It's a movie that really balances this humane vision with this very bracing look at the reality of just living on the streets. And it's an underrated um, holiday. I, lo- I love your holiday sensibility, yeah. Dan. I think that <laughs> honestly grappling with the season means that you sort of think about all those stuff like think about everybody and what they're going through and that's what that's what i'm thinking about like and picking these like how they represent a broad spectrum of what different people might be going through during the holiday absolutely now we're going to take a little commercial break if you're into art films and you're into documentaries on artists or simply want visual inspiration we have an idea for you Consider subscribing to our favorite streaming service, Ovid.tv. 
And to make it easy to hyperallergic listeners, they're offering a special year-end discount on monthly plans. So from now until January 1st, you can save 25% off your first four months of Ovid. That means you'll get access to Ovid for just $5.25 per month instead of the regular $6.99. So again, simply head over to www.ovid.tv and use the code HYPER in all caps at checkout. And then start watching films on art, dance, photography, and much, much more. I've been enjoying Ovid for the last couple of weeks, and I absolutely recommend it. There are numerous art documentaries, including films about Saul LeWitt, Ellen Atsui, Mark Rothko, the late work of Liam Golub, and even Chris Marker's classic cinematic essay, The Case of the Grinning Cat. Do yourself a favor and check it out. Since holiday movies are for everyone, we thought we'd reach out to hyperallergic staff members to see what they love in a good holiday flick. First up is the Emily Tremaine Curatorial Fellow in Journalism, who this year is Laura Reykjavich. Then next is Seth Rodney, who is an editor and critic here at Hyperallergic. Next up, Becca Gleckenhaus, a marketing manager, followed by Viken Geikian, who is our publisher, of course. And then finally, the last word goes to Jasmine Weber, our news editor. And I think you'll like everyone's picks. So my favorite holiday movie is called Last Holiday, and it stars Queen Latifah and Gerard Depardieu. Um, ma'am, would you mind lowering your knees so the gentleman in front of you can put his seat back down? Actually, I very much would not. Am I going to have to call the air marshal, ma'am? People been calling me ma'am a lot lately. And I'm hardly older than you. And nobody believes me that this film actually exists, but it does. And Queen Latifah plays a nurse who thinks she's dying of some illness. And she's also a gourmet chef at home. But nobody really knows this is kind of like a hidden... Um, talent that she has. And she decides to go to Gerard Depardieu's spa in like Gestad or something to spend all of her money and to basically celebrate her life before she dies. And her boyfriend, of course, is LL Cool J. And he comes to try and save her because she's not actually dying. And she's at the end of the film, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it for everybody. But um, at the end of the film, she's standing on her windowsill about to jump to kill herself. And there's a snowstorm and LL is like in a snowcat driving up the mountain while Gerard is trying to get her back inside from inside the hotel. And it's the best movie. And I saw it in an airplane and I cried. So one of my favorite holiday films, it's not the absolute top of the list, but it's up there, is, oddly enough, Die Hard with Bruce Willis. This is John. Nice beer. He just wants to spend Christmas with the family. Is Daddy coming home with you? We'll see what Santa and Mommy can do. But when he gets stuck at the office party... Merry Christmas! It'll be a holiday... Merry Christmas! ...he'll never forget. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Welcome to the party, pal! I love this film because it's set during the Christmas holiday. 
And it's the craziest shit, right? Like, it's this guy who, like, through this series of unfortunate circumstances, ended up at this place called Nakatomi Plaza, which is being taken over by an entire gang of German terrorists. The head guy is played by Alan Rickman. Wonderful actor, right? Just, just like, I could watch him pretty much all day. And they do crazy shit to Bruce Willis's character. I mean, they basically torture the man for most of the film. And there's a scene, there's this particular scene where they have him cornered somewhere, two big blonde German guys who look like they could tear him apart, have him cornered in one part of the building. It's a corporate building. And one yells to the other, shoot the glass. So they shoot the glass, and what that means is that in order for the main character to save his life, he has to run across this lobby floor with broken glass, barefoot, because he didn't have time to put on his shoes or whatever. So, like, the rest of the film is just him, like, getting progressively more injured and hurt. And at some point, he's, like, wearing bandages that were tied around his feet, and he has to, like, shoot a glass and jump out a window with, like, a a fire hose around his waist and then he lands and then he gets more bruised and he has to shoot his way back in and it's just it's a roller coaster and it's actually one of the first times and this is primarily why I love the movie it's one of the first times I saw an action film where I literally was watching it like holding on for dear life for the entirety of the film right just brilliantly shot produced and edited just oh, just absolute roller coaster so it's like one of the most fun things you can do with like you know a holiday afternoon where you got nothing else to do and you're just full of food and you just want to sit around and watch a film my favorite christmas movie is home alone when the McAllister family left on their christmas vacation did we miss the flight no you just made it <laughs> they forgot one small thing have yourself a terrible feeling did you lock up yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! <laughs> because I, I mean, I watch it every year with my siblings, so it's fun for that. And it was back when Macaulay Culkin was still cute and not weird. <laughs> and it's just funny that a little kid is, like, trolling these adults as they're trying to break in and steal their stuff. Also that the parents, you know, forgot their child and are running through an airport. So classic 90s movie. Hello. My favorite holiday movie is actually really corny. Love Actually. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> I just love rom-coms and it's like eight crazy rom-coms jammed together that make no sense but it's just fun to watch the film that i watch every holiday season without fail is the year without a santa claus have been doing so since i first saw it on abc family's 25 days of christmas when i was a kid i'm mr white christmas i'm mr snow it's an absolute fever dream from 1974 with the iconic heat miser and snow miser and i would consider it an essential viewing for any person interested in christmas movies a special thanks this week to patrick thomas for getting us into the christmas spirit with his new album christmas with patrick thomas which is available on itunes and elsewhere 
And since you're in the holiday mood, we're going to ask for one little favor as well. To help people discover Hyperallergic's Art Movements podcast, we're going to ask you to head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and review the podcast. Hopefully you'll agree that Art Movements deserves five stars. And then add some notes in your review as to why you're enjoying the program to help other people find it. These reviews really will help others discover the podcast you've been enjoying and give a little poke to the algorithm to make sure it shows it to others. I'm Harag Vartanyan, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening to another episode of Art Movements. And Merry Christmas to those who celebrate and a Happy New Year. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way Lots of toys